You are Locked On Rams, your daily Los Angeles Rams podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Rams Nation, what is going on? It is your boy, your host, Sosa Kremenges. I'm a fantasy analyst at Pro Football Focus and your host of the Locked On Rams podcast, your number one daily podcast covering the Los Angeles Rams. Welcome to your Wednesday episode of the Locked On Rams pod. As always, I appreciate you guys for coming back here at the Locked On Rams pod and listening to another great episode that we have scheduled for you guys here today. As always, on Wednesdays, you guys know I'm joined by former host Brad Motter, and he's on the other line right now. We're going to have some interesting topics to discuss in this episode. We're going to look at the wide receiver position in the first segment and kind of break down what Josh Reynolds leaving means for the offense, what it might mean for some of the receivers that are currently on the roster, and how that work might be divvied up amongst those guys. And then in the second and third segment, we're going to take a look at some of the losses, both related to personnel and the coaching staff that the Rams had this offseason, which was obviously quite a laundry list of guys that left the building, both players and coaches. And we're going to kind of discuss whether we think some of the losses were either big deals, you know, little deals or pretty much no difference in terms of what's going to happen with the Rams. So my man, Brad, how are you doing? Man, I'm doing good. I'm excited for another podcast here with you, brother. I was driving into work today and I heard at the end of Tuesdays, you're like, and we got Brad Motter tomorrow. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, that's right. Let's go. I'm ready to do this again. Like getting back on the rhythm has been a bunch of fun. I'm excited to kind of talk. We got some good stuff to dig in today because a lot of stuff happened this off season as we kind of get ready for this draft around the corner and you start putting the pieces together of who's here, who's not. Uh, there's a lot of discussion to be had. Yeah, there is. And I'm hyped to get back uh, into our routine here. You know, it feels good to finally be back and settled in. And uh, I feel like we're finally getting that chemistry back, you know, that we built over the uh, entire season. So, you know, you talked about some of the losses that the Rams had, and I did mention it just a few minutes ago. And one of the losses, maybe one of the bigger ones in terms of at least the offense and the way the offense produced going back to last season was wide receiver Josh Reynolds. He signed a one-year deal with the Tennessee Titans. He's officially gone. And we know that the Rams have kind of braced themselves for this situation. Obviously, going back to last year's draft, almost about a year ago to pretty much this day, they drafted Van Jefferson 57th overall with the pick that they actually acquired from trading Brandon Cooks. And then, you know, you go back about a week or two ago, the Rams signed veteran Deshaun Jackson in free agency to kind of supplement that room and bring in another skill set that they probably didn't have. So I have some of the PFF numbers here, some interesting stuff to look at and when you look at what Reynolds did for the Rams last year, probably, you know, not going to be blown away by the box score statistics, which I guess makes sense because, you know, he's a six, 700, 800 yard receiver. He's never really going to blow anyone away in that regard. But you look at the receiving snaps, he had 492 last season. That was only 20 ish less than Cooper Cup. So clearly a pretty big and vital, important piece yeah. to the Rams in terms of their offense last year. You know, he actually faced the most press coverage among all the receivers, 164 snaps. When you look at Cup, only 106, Robert Woods, 108. So, you know, typically it's thought of that the guy that has to face the most press coverage has the most difficult job. So, you know, he was kind of put into a tough situation. And now they're going to have to find someone to take over a lot of those targets. PFF has him down for 77. You know, some other sites might have him down for give or so five more or maybe five less, depending on how they, you know, account for these targets. But Clearly a big part of the offense. And now, you know, we mentioned Jefferson, we mentioned Jackson. 
When you look at Josh Reynolds, the way he was used, a lot of his work is now going to be available to be grabbed by somebody. How do you kind of break that down amongst the current receivers that they have? And do you think there's any one legitimate replacement that they have in mind for maybe a role or a different starting spot? Yeah, that's the interesting thing, because when you were talking about Josh Reynolds yesterday, and that's kind of where it kind of made me think, like, let's dive deeper into this, because with him leaving and you kind of quoting some of the things that he said, which was pretty interesting, right? Because he talked about, you know, not being able to get into some of those deep targets like they really game plan for. I'm using playerprofile.com to get some of these stats, and he had 12 deep targets last year. Um, And you look at that, taking that away, there weren't a lot of other deep targets throughout you know, the offense, you're looking at Cooper Cup and, you know, Robert Woods and and then adding in, you know, the addition of Van Jefferson, one year more experienced and bringing in D-Jack and kind of filling in some of those roles. But he had 81 targets last year, which if I had guessed, I would probably wouldn't have gone that high. And I think you said, again, yours was a little bit lower. Some of these sites kind of vary from um, how they do their statistics. But Again, I would have been way off on that. Uh, He ended up with, I think, 52 receptions. That's a good amount. That's a good chunk. He talked about where he kind of lined up next to Cooper Cup and that. It's a bigger hole than I actually thought that we are are coming in to fill this year, which if I'm Van Jefferson, I'm stoked about, right? Because I think he's going to get that first crack at it as far as the chance to come in and do that. Obviously, D-Jack is going to have his role with some of those deep targets that he'll fill in. And then again, you got to think about some of these numbers we're looking at are completely skewed in a weird way because it was Jared Goff and a shell of himself, Jared Goff, where he was really feeling that, you know, that average target to distance was a lot shorter. I think actually Josh Reynolds here, I'm seeing his average target to distance was 10 yards down the field. And that sounds about the Jared Goff that we remember seeing. So some of these numbers are going to go up. We're looking at Josh Reynolds had 81 targets last year. That role um, where he came in, he had 153 snaps uh, from the slot last year, maybe that target range is going to go up a lot or, uh, you know, in that wide receiver three, which I kind of put Josh Reynolds in that opportunity is going to go up a little bit. So Van Jefferson's got to be excited. Um, if DJack can stay healthy, he's got to be excited about coming into an offense that wants to push the ball downfield a little bit more. And really there's that big question mark. Cause you said it the other day, the Rams have interviewed what 700 wide receivers in this class so far. <laughs> I think like 29 of the 30 meetings seem to be wide receivers. If, if, you know, when I'm paying attention to it, it seems like that's the case, but um, there's going to be another wide receiver in this room. And so Van's going to have to look over his shoulder, but I love it in a good way for the sake of competition, right? It's not Van's job as he's walking into this in off season. Like he's going to have to earn it. He's going to have to put in the work. I think he's a great route runner. I still think we haven't seen anywhere near what his ceiling is. So I'm excited for him to get some more opportunity, but that's, what's fun about this as Josh Reynolds leaves is there's potentially three guys that are going to go eat for that 81 targets that, uh, Reynolds was getting last year and really at that time it's really who does you know where's the value come from and maybe you lean into that a little bit but I'd love to see obviously Van get that love if uh, DJ can be healthy get some of those slot snaps and go deep down the field a little bit more um, but there's not you know one last stat that I want to kind of mention before I kick back to you is, is red zone targets you looked at Josh Reynolds you thought his body was prototypical for just you know, give him that deep fade or just bring something to him in the red zone. He only had Mm -hmm. seven targets. He had four receptions in the red zone. Um, I look for someone to step up in that zone because, you know, there's Cooper Cup and Robert Woods really working short angles and and doing great routes in in that red zone. But man, who's our big guy? Is it going to be a tight end this year? Um, Is it going to be Van Jefferson in the red zone? So I'm excited to see who steps up in the red zone because we just haven't seemed to have that go-to 
red zone target yet. And I'm kind of curious to see who fills in that role as well. Yeah, I definitely think you hit the nail on the head pretty well there. And, you know, when I look at some of these PFF stats, it's almost eerie how comparable and similar Josh Reynolds and Van Jefferson were in terms of their production and their usage. So average depth of target receiving. So, you know, how far downfield their targets came. Josh Reynolds, 11.4. Van Jefferson, 11.5. Then you look at the receiving yards per reception. So pretty much their efficiency on how many catches they had. Josh Reynolds, 11.9. Van Jefferson, 11.6. So very similar, not very similar in terms of how they play. I think Van Jefferson is kind of like, you know, if you mix Cooper Cup and Robert Woods in a blender and whatever you got out of that, that was what Van Jefferson is. You know, tremendous route runner, good hands, prototypical three-level receiver that can win on all levels. I expect him to be, you know, like you said, the first crack at getting that starting job. But when I look at that Deshaun Jackson contract, a little bit of me also thinks that, you know, they're paying him a pretty yeah. good amount of money for a guy that hasn't really played over the last two years. And they're not paying him for no reason. Like this is a guy that's going to have a role on offense. And when you look at the average depth of target for Josh Reynolds, it was almost double what it was for Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. So it's probably fair to expect that, you know, they viewed him as the deep threat last season and they're looking for someone to bring in this season to do the same thing except actually be more dynamic in that role and I think Deshaun Jackson is going to get the first chance to do that so you know when you look at Van Jefferson you look at Deshaun Jackson probably going to be a split maybe a 60-40 50-50 style of thing in terms of how many snaps how many targets the production and you know what that ultimately makes sense to me doesn't really matter about the statistics of one player at the end of the year you need guys that have roles. You need guys that can do different things. And I think the Rams have done a good job at identifying the players that they want on the field in certain situations. Van Jefferson is going to help them on third downs, moving the chains, keeping it you know, third and manageable. And Deshaun Jackson is going to help you take the top off the defense, hit that 60, 50, 70-yard strike, whatever it may be, push those safeties back a little bit, lighten the box, help your run game. So Ultimately, I'm really excited. Like you mentioned, I think Reynolds is a little bit bigger of a loss than a lot of people think, but yeah. the Rams are pretty well suited. I think everyone would say to, you know, find the production to replace him and maybe not just replace him, but actually improve upon what he gave them last season as well. And, you know, that is one of the areas that the Rams may improve on going into next season because the rest of the roster, there were plenty of steps back by way of free agent losses and coaching losses. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next two segments. We're going to look at some of the losses that they had on both the player personnel side, as well as the coaching side, and talk about whether we think it was a big deal or not a big deal at all. And while we've got you, come connect with us on Twitter for all the coverage you need on the Los Angeles Rams. You can find me at QB's MEP. You can find the page at Locked on Rams and you can find Brad at LA underscore Rambling Bear. The fitness industry is incredibly confusing and oversaturated with BS. I'd like to think that my word holds a lot of weight as I've lost 155 pounds over the last two and a half years. With that being the case, you guys know I've been on the lookout for the perfect protein bar and have finally stumbled upon the best one and it is called the Built Bar. These guys have so many flavors. I swear to you, they have something you're going to love. And for me personally, I haven't found a flavor that I don't like yet. And talking about the texture, it might actually be better than all of the flavors that they have. It's unlike any other protein bar on the market. And to double down, they're also healthy. They're low in calories, low in sugar. They have 19 grams of protein per bar. They're high in fiber. And they even work for you if you are on a keto diet. You'll even get a free cooler with your purchase while the supplies last. All you got to do is just go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. 
Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back to the second segment of this Wednesday episode of your Locked On Rams podcast. I am your host, Sosa Kermengis, and I do have my man Brad on the other line here. And I did mention a few minutes ago prior to the break that these next two segments are going to be dedicated to taking a look at some of the losses that the Rams had. And we're going to kind of discuss whether we think they're going to ultimately be, you know, a big deal, a not so big deal, maybe a little deal, or really have no effect at all. And I guess we can kick it off with me starting here, Brad. So I'm going to go with the first option here. And I wanted to take a look at something a little bit different, not necessarily a player loss or a coach loss or any one guy, but are you at all concerned about, you know, just losing a lot of the leadership or the locker room glue guys that they had in the building. And I'm specifically talking about guys like John Johnson, who, by the way, was the defensive signal caller for the Rams last season. So going to need a new guy to call plays on defense and get everyone lined up. Defensive tackle Michael Brockers, who was one of the longest tenured Rams. I think he was probably right behind Johnny Hecker. I want to say that might be wrong off the top of my head. But again, you lose another true veteran of the team, Troy Hill, Austin Blythe, some of these guys that have been with the team for you know, five, six, seven years. So are you at all concerned about looking at it from that kind of perspective in terms of losing a lot of the leadership from the locker room? It's a really good question, right? Because a couple of those guys have been around for a while and and did take on those leadership roles. You talked about John Johnson, you know, kind of being the signal caller. I think the defense, there's a little bit more of a question there. But at the same time, that's why you locked in some of these really big players, right? Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald are both guys that do it by their action, their work ethic. Jalen, a little bit more vocal on the field as well, considered, uh, you know, compared to Aaron Donald. But I think you have those franchise pieces there that can kind of do that. And then you look at really, and I know this is crazy to think or say, but Jordan Fuller, right? He stepped in, played a huge role last year and seemed very, very comfortable at it. And you go back to his time at Ohio State, I think he was like one of the few players that was like a three-time captain at Ohio State, like one of four players or five players ever from Ohio State to have that many captains, you know, on his chest out over his career there. So um, I think he's kind of one of those guys that could fill in right away if kind of taking on that starting role that can be either a signal caller or just that voice in the back to kind of really connect everyone and make sure everyone's communicating. Um, he did it last year as a rookie, and he comes from that that pedigree of Ohio State, big program, and he's done that before. Uh, throughout all you know areas in, in, in his life and levels in football. So I think he's going to fill in big time as far as that leadership goes. And then really, Leonard Floyd, man, you got paid the big bucks. You got to step up and really be able to kind of work with those linebackers and have that communication level. On the offense side, I'm not worried because, right, we added a piece uh, in a quarterback, Matt Stafford, that's a born leader that in a position of leadership. Uh, Andrew Whitworth, if he comes back, just a heck of a leader himself. So maybe the offense is a little bit more heavy on leadership. Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, those guys have been around, especially with McVay, and have that those leadership qualities. But I think there's enough pieces on both sides of the ball. And then a guy that I wasn't even thinking of until you said it, but Johnny Hecker, right? Holding down the special teams. They've had, you know, uh, that area has been depleted over the years. Jake McQuaid, obviously a guy that's been around for a while, uh, no longer with the team. And I think he's going to kind of take ownership of that group. And so if you look at each part of the team, there's a core there. There's some really good players that I think we can be accountable. Yes. Are we going to miss some of those guys? Um, Of course. But if you want to say big deal, little deal or no deal, 
Um, I'm leaning in the the little deal to almost no deal at this point because that's what these professionals are are paid to do is come in and fill that gap. So I'm going to say no deal. As far as the player side of it is, I think we've got a great group of guys. Again, this is a team that was really close, one or two wins away from you know winning the Super Bowl and being in the mix as one of the best teams in the NFL. Um, I think they're still right there as far as leadership goes and talent. Yeah, I like it. You know, I guess it's back to uh, opening up boxes for Howie Mandel with the no deal. So uh, we're going to keep it moving here. You know, I agree. The defense probably lost a little bit more leadership. But, you know, you mentioned a lot of the guys that I think are going to have to step up and are probably more than happy to step up. And I wouldn't be shocked at all if Jordan Fuller is ultimately calling the defensive plays next year for the Rams and takes that job from John Johnson, who had it this past season. That sounds like a legitimate possibility to me and probably the favorite to actually be the one calling the plays and the offense might have actually added more leadership like you mentioned with Stafford a true veteran and then obviously having Andrew Whitworth back and all these other guys so probably not a big deal now I want to look at you know some of that other stuff on the defensive side of the ball you lose not so much at edge obviously Leonard Floyd comes back but you know Samson Ebukam takes off and even if he returns is there a question mark at that second spot across from Leonard Floyd as well as just the inside linebackers maybe the linebackers in general didn't really add anyone there. We looked at the prospects that the Rams have interviewed with. Not many edge rushers, pretty much no inside linebackers, not in the day one or day two range, at least. Maybe the guys in the sixth or seventh round. So probably not going to prioritize these spots. When you look at these two positions on defense, big deal, little deal, or no deal in terms of what you think of the holes, or maybe you don't even think there are holes going into this next season. Oh, there's holes, my friend, and it's a big deal. (laughs) Um, And that linebacker group scares me a bit, right? We pay a bunch of money to Leonard Floyd, which, great, go get that bag and go earn that bag. And he did last year, and I think he still has the capability of doing something similar to that. But our inside uh, middle linebackers scare the crap out of me. And then talking about, which we will here touch a little bit later in the next segment, is some of those coaching pieces that are now gone with that. So you took a unit that had a really solid coach um, with not a lot to work with. And now it's a brand new coach with probably even less to work with. And that is a big scare for me. And actually, I got this from PFF Brad. He kind of put a, a graph the other day that is draft capital used on each position from 2011 to 2020. And looking at the Rams and then looking at the linebacker position, and this is in percentages of wh- where they spent their draft capital the linebacker position has been 7.2% of their draft capital over that time. Thinking and looking, comparing to some of the other numbers where uh, running backs been 11%, um, safety's been 10%, uh, tackles been 11%, wide receiver at 16.4%, their highest percentage over the past 10 years they spent in that area. So they're not even looking uh, at linebacker and you mentioned it with some of those meetings that you talked about over the last week is they're still not really looking at linebacker and I'm just confused if there's just some mentality on that defense side of the ball they're like hey we got awesome corners awesome safeties we've got Aaron Donald up front we can really kind of take advantage and not spend as much there in the linebacker but I'm panicking because I'm going yeah we need somebody in that middle because it was a mess at times and with people leaving needing more pressure off the edge those are still big concerns for me. So I'm looking at this as a very big deal and it can be solved quickly. We, you know, we talked about um, at a certain point, they can go and sign some of those free agents that are left and not go against uh, the consideration for uh, compensation uh, in future drafts as we're looking at comp picks, or they can 
do it in the draft, but this stat shows that they don't really care about linebackers in the draft. And like you said, I think earlier this week, don't get excited for it or don't get your hopes up for it because they're probably not going to draft a linebacker in their first few picks. So it's a big deal for me because I also look and go, I don't know where they're going to fill this in and or try to address this at any point anytime soon. It's a fascinating situation for sure. I think there's a clear disconnect between the front office and the franchise, the team, and what fans think because fans are clamoring for a new inside linebacker or you know an early addition at that spot. Go get a guy that you can trust to start 16 games and could take that defense to the next level. Whereas you know the franchise just doesn't really seem to care and they seem to be happy with what they have and they seem to be intent on spending their resources whether that be draft picks or, you know, salary cap space on different positions. And at the end of the day, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a huge deal. I'm going to say it's kind of like a little deal situation. I know that they can improve. I think that they should try to improve at that edge slash inside linebacker spot. But at the same time, you know, I understand valuing the passing attack and stopping the passing attack of other offenses, obviously, and prioritizing that. And that's what the Rams like to do. And ultimately, that's why I wouldn't be shocked if they do end up going with some sort of a cornerback or some sort of a wide receiver much earlier than pretty much fans anticipate at this point in time. Talking about that in the next segment, we're going to dive into the final few losses and touch on whether we think they are a big deal, a little deal, or no deal at all. And while we've got you, make sure to keep checking back in with us here at the Locked on Rams podcast every day, Monday through Friday, where we continue our off-season coverage for the Los Angeles Rams all off-season long. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing, and BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Get real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's also free to sign up. You guys just got to go head to their website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. That's betonline.ag. It's April, and the Locked On NFL Network of Podcasts is shifting into draft mode. April 19th through the 26th, tune into the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021, featuring analysis from NFL experts Michael Irvin, Brian Baldinger, and Michael Lombardi. Stay tuned for more info about where you can find the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 presented by Odyssey and the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome back to the final segment of this Wednesday episode of the Locked On Rams pod. I appreciate you guys for making it this far into the episode. And now at this segment, Brad and I are going to finally get into our final decisions on whether we think there are some big losses for the Rams, some little deals, or maybe some no losses at all. If we really think that they haven't downgraded at certain positions or, you know, within that coaching staff. So I guess now that I've segued it, Brad, I've asked you my questions in terms of what you think on some certain losses for the Rams. We're going to now spin the table. And why don't you ask me what I think? Yeah, I like it because you set up in that first segment kind of a good rhythm of what I'll end up piggybacking here because you talked about the player side of the leadership roles of a few of the guys that left, not so much the talent, but the leadership. Now I want to go a little bit deeper on that and talk about the coaches and the executives who left because we had nine coaches and executives that left and gone somewhere else or retired or doing anything but being with the Rams. And that that's, you know, Brandon Staley, Joe Barry, Aubrey Pleasant, Shane Waldron, uh, just to name a few. Obviously, we lost a bunch um, you know, at the O-line. We lost a, a guy that's now Brad Holmes as a GM over there. So a lot of talent in our room has left. My question to you is, with the roster that's still here, looking at the coaches that are left, 
Is that a big deal, a little deal, or no deal at all to you? I think it's a big deal, but I also do think that the Rams, you know, have earned the right to maybe make us wait a little bit in terms of what we actually think of these losses. Because, you know, you go back to Sean McVay's hiring in 2017. Over that course of time, I mean, he's lost a lot of coaches. You look at Matt LaFleur, now a head coach. You look at Zach Taylor, now a head coach. All these other guys that have left for different jobs. And it's just continuing, you know, the trend now. Obviously, it hit even harder this past offseason, like you mentioned. And I think there's varying degrees to the losses. Like, you know, I'm more concerned about losing Aubrey Pleasant because I thought yeah. he did a really good job at developing some of the corners on the roster. Not so concerned about losing Joe Barry. I think ultimately they did upgrade at some spots like the special teams coordinator going from John Bonomago, who's now, I don't even know what he is. I think he's like a senior assistant to the head coach or some random, right. I don't know, job title that probably has no bearing on anything to a guy in Joe DeCamillis, who's been a lot better over the course of his career as a special teams coordinator. So had some upgrades, had probably a fair amount of downgrades as well. And, you know, talking about some of the downgrades, Aaron Cromer, the offensive line coach, who I think pretty much everyone thought was one of the best in the league, lose him and really didn't get no clarity on why thought that was a very, very big loss. So ultimately I think it is a big deal. And, you know, it could come back to haunt them, could come back to bite them. But at the end of the day, you know, Sean McVay has done a very good job maneuvering all the losses that he has had on his coaching staff so far throughout his tenure as a head coach and pretty much invited his guys to actually go chase better opportunities, more money, job promotions, all that stuff. So I think it's a big deal, but I also think the Rams have earned the right to sort of maybe hush us down a little bit until they actually prove that it, you know, has hurt them in terms of their results on the field. No, that's a great answer because I totally agree with you. It is a big deal. That's a lot of people. I think really where you said also is saying, hey, they earn the right to show that they can rebuild and and bring coaches within and, and fill roles. But this is a, a whole lot compared to you know yeah. one or two here and there. And this is on both sides of the ball. And you mentioned it, some really big positions. And you said Joe Barry, eh, maybe not a big loss. I, I think it's a huge loss because and maybe I'm overvaluing him as a coach, but he didn't have much to work with and he held it together. And now we've got, yeah. uh, you know, as I mentioned in the last segment, a, you know, a mixed bag of who knows who and uh, who knows nobody and a coach who <laughs> is brand new in the system. So I'm really curious how, how they're going to fill in that role and, and kind of maneuver that defense. Cause you talked about Aubrey Pleasant did a great job with the cornerbacks, but I feel like he coached them up to their, maybe their max level. And they got a guy like Jalen Ramsey that can continue that on to kind of build those guys along um, that linebacker room that someone's going to step up and it better be the new coach. So good answer there. Um, and then I'll kind of follow again, kind of going more positionally here. We talked about the defense. So I'll switch it over to the offense. You mentioned this, uh, even the last time we talked was when the news broke that Austin Blythe has moved on and went to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, you talked about his press conference, really good stuff that came out from that. Um, but my question really is, not only are we now in the search for a center, but uh, this is also a brand new quarterback. So this is a new quarterback, new center exchange, just the whole addition of where that play starts every single time. That relationship you want to be completely of trust and have some great experience together. That is going to be a brand new and potentially could be with a rookie. So big deal, little deal, no deal at all. The new center with a new quarterback. What are your thoughts? I'm going to go with a little deal on this one. And, you know, I contemplated all three options because I think <laughs> it really depends, right? You, you got Matthew Stafford on one hand, where I think from his perspective, probably no deal at all. This is a guy right. that's been in the league for 
I mean, forever at this point. I think it's been 12 years. Uh, dealt with all kinds of centers, I'm sure, in Detroit. I know he's had at least four or five different centers. Um, so obviously has the experience, you know, changing up his centers and going with a different guy there. It really depends on what the Rams ultimately do at this spot. I think, you know, if you go with a rookie, you go with a, you know, a round two or round three guy and he has to start for you, probably a little bit of worry there because, you know, they've sort of pigeonholed themselves. And I've mentioned this on the podcast to the point where they now have to find a new starter or, you know, they're going to start someone on their roster that they currently have that probably not worthy of being a starter. So it really depends on what they do with the center situation. If they go get a veteran, maybe in a month when the compensatory pick formula doesn't really get affected anymore, I would feel that maybe it's a no deal situation. You go sign Austin Ryder. He's obviously snapped a lot of footballs, 30 years old at this point, a true veteran. Whereas, you know, if you have to rely on a center in round two or round three or hell, even round four, maybe definitely a little bit of a deal there. I would say more so just from the aspect of the center, the perspective there going to be a big transition for them to go from, you know, third round pick to potentially starting for the Rams and having to fill a big hole at center left behind by Austin Blythe. So a little bit of an issue in my opinion, but nothing I would really lose sleep over. I'm more concerned about what the play and what the quality of play is from that center, as opposed to maybe that relationship between the center and the new quarterback. Yeah, that's good. That's a good call. You're right. Matt Stafford's probably dealt with a lot of centers in his day. And regardless of who he was coming into, if Austin Blythe was here, it was going to be a new center relationship with him anyway. So regardless of who's there, it was going to be something new. I think the big question is, is can we get somebody? And if it is a rookie, right now, he's got a great quarterback to kind of help him go through that. And again, a veteran on the line with Andrew Whitworth, never played center, but a guy that can kind of speak to understanding all five positions um, across the line. So I, I'm excited. I think it really comes down to you, right? Who do we get at center? Is it a veteran late plug and chug that we kind of get in free agency? Or is do we go and spend some decent draft capital? Because if we do get you know, in that second round or in the third round, I think that's where I want to go get a starter. If we start picking fourth, fifth round, uh, trying to find that guy on the O-line, I'm hoping that we get a veteran because I don't want to throw in. And as we saw, I mean, Brian Allen, What? when did we pick up Brian Allen? He was a fourth, fifth round guy, right? That fourth, didn't work believe, out. Yeah. So it's like, do we really want to go down that road again and go, yeah, I mean, you know, like Brian Allen was like, oh, it's his brother was a center. He's from Michigan State. Seems like a grapple. It didn't work, right? So let's go get the guy in the second and third, a guy that we can have confidence in that he's going to come and be the guy. Or like you mentioned, go grab a, a veteran guy at a cheaper price later in this free agency world. But uh, that's that's the extra bonus that you give to Matt Stafford, being able to be the veteran with throw in anybody at that line. As long as you can give me a couple seconds, I'll, fi- I'll find somebody to throw it to. And ironically enough, you know, we talked about it and you mentioned it too. The prospect list that they've met with, not many interior offensive linemen on that list. I think off the top of my head, there might have been one. And he's slated to go within the top 64 picks the first two rounds. So maybe the Rams are interested in staying at that 57th overall pick, maybe sending in that card for Quinn Miners, the center slash guard from Wisconsin Whitewater. But outside of him, yeah, outside of him, it doesn't look all too good for you know the center replacement early, at least in the draft. So I appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. That is the end of our episode. We kind of got to change it up a little bit there. Brad got to host that last segment. I'm sure it felt good and uh, natural for him. Is a little bit of a throwback for him. So appreciate <laughs> you guys for listening, as always. Make sure to keep checking back in with us here at the Locked on Rams podcast. We're going to have episodes Monday through Friday every single day. 
throughout the rest of the offseason. And just a reminder, you can come connect with us on Twitter. You can find me at QB's MEP. You can find Brad at LA underscore Rambling Bear. And you can find the page at Locked on Rams. Please subscribe or follow to get our latest episodes, content, breaking news, and a whole lot more.